Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Grief and Rebirth Podcast, whose mission is to educate, enlighten, and provide healing choices through interviews with grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and people who have inspiring stories to share. I'm your host, Irene Weinberg, and before I begin today's very enlightening interview, here's a reminder to please be sure to like Irene Weinberg, W-E-I-N-B-E-R-G, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our truly extraordinary guest today is Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, also known as the psychic explorer, He is the author of the award-winning, critically acclaimed bestsellers, Never Letting Go, and Evidence of Eternity. Mark is a world-renowned, fourth-generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He is an Oxford-educated attorney, licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. Mark is featured regularly on television, major talk radio shows, and in print media. He is also a headline speaker at conventions, expos, and spiritual organizations such as the Edgar Casey ARE, International Association of Near-Death Studies, and universities including Brown, Columbia, Harvard, and Yale. By the way, Mark and I have something in common. We both hail from Florida. Mark, it is truly my pleasure to welcome you to Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm eager to share your fascinating life story and keen insights with our listeners. Let's begin our interview with this question. You're known as a psychic lawyer, the psychic explorer, a psychic medium, and a paranormal expert. Please define each and tell us how they apply in your life. Well, first off, I was born a psychic medium. These are abilities that run in my family for at least four generations on both sides. Both my mother and my father had the ability to perceive spirits. And when I started really studying my family and talking to my parents and other relatives, I tracked it back into the 1890s on both sides. And the thing is, Irene, it it reasons to assume it goes back even farther than that. It's just that the people that uh, had the firsthand experience with the the psychics and mediums uh, back into the 19th century are, you know, are no longer on this side. And I eventually, um, as I was, I was, I was started seeing spirits when I was about three and a half, four. And it's not unusual for children to see so-called imaginary friends, but for the fact that my parents could also see who I was talking to. So they, they realized what was going on. And, you know, my mom was kind of excited about it. Dad, not so much. Um, my mother's side of the family was Italian. And they were Italian Catholics, and and my mother's father came from Italy, and uh, her grandparents on the maternal side came from Italy, and they looked at it as a gift, as visions of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, my dad's family, very waspy Pennsylvania. In fact, um, my great grandfather um, on, on, um, through my dad on his maternal side was a Baptist minister in, in Pennsylvania. Whoa. So, yeah, so, but, you know, but, but they weren't the cast the first stone, narrow-minded, you're the, doing the work of Satan Christians. They looked at it as a gift of spirit. In other words, they were more Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. We all have gifts from God. If your gift is one of prophecy, thou shalt prophesize, as opposed to, you know, mediums are not of God in Leviticus. And, oh, by the way, if your, you know, daughter's menstruating in a temple, she shall be put to death. You know, I mean, it's like, we can't take that stuff seriously. And the people that do, I forgive you. But, <laughs> well, because I'm not here for all these, uh, you know, um, religious fanatics. They're not even Christian. They're not even Jewish. They're, they're not even Muslim. They're just religious fanatics, and, and they don't seem to understand the religions that they practice. Now, that being said, um, I went to Catholic school, and I wanted to be a Catholic priest. I was always drawn toward the spiritual, and that leads me into um, people say, well, why did you go to law school? Is because I liked helping people and both jobs were about evidence. Uh, I'm an evidential medium, which means I have to produce information from the other side, from the spirit to verify that this person is who he or she, you know, we believe they are, and to verify that that is that person. And an attorney needs evidence to substantiate his case in court. So that's where the evidence comes in. Of course, both jobs are about helping people. Now, the next question was <laughs> the psychic explorer. Um, it's funny because the media has nicknamed me the Psychic Indiana Jones, and that has got to be the nicest nickname I've is. ever had. And I just love it because since I have been a child, I have been fascinated with archaeology, history, uh, ancient civilizations, uh, theology, philosophy, and so I have spent a lot of my, my adult life uh, traveling to mystical and sacred sites around the world to understand about this, in addition to, um, you know, the armchair uh, aspect of that, where you actually have to read about it and learn about it before you go on these trips. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Oh, it's, it's, that I, sounds I, amazing. I just, I, I'm so thankful for the experiences that I've had. And, and in my travels and in my work, you learn about different uh, phenomenon, you know, be call it uh, hauntings or, or um, non-human spiritual intelligence. And so, and, and then I've been on a number of uh, ghost hunts, paranormal investigations. And I got to tell everyone, if you haven't been on a ghost hunt, put that on your bucket list. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a lot of fun. You know, people think it's going to be all scary and blood and gore and stuff. And, and it isn't, you know, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to, to go to places where there's an energetic vibration that could possibly be interpreted as, uh, as spectral phenomenon or, or residual energy echoes. Real quick, funny story on that. Sure, please do. I, I was at the Tower of London, and I was all by myself. And I'm walking around, and and you know, I'm I'm in history, historical paradise there. Right. Okay, and I remember it was a cold February day, and I was really tired. I've been walking for about six or seven hours nonstop, and I sat down. Here I am in this courtyard, the Tower of London, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about Anne Boleyn. You know, Anne Boleyn was uh, uh, Henry VIII's second wife, and uh, he's the one that, uh, you, you know, she, she motivated him to divorce Catherine of Aragon, and that started the whole, you know, um, tension and separation between England and, and uh, the Catholic Church. 
And I, and I kept thinking, gee, I wonder where Anne Boleyn was beheaded, because I'm pretty sure it was at the Tower of London. And all of a sudden, I look down and to my uh, left, and there's this glass sign, and it's etched into the sign, this be the spot where Queen Anne Boleyn was beheaded by order of King. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like sitting right there. And, and uh, it just... It was one of those kind of moments, and, and, uh, and I, you know, the, the 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 worst part for me is there wasn't anybody with me to share it with. But on the other hand, somebody was there. So. But you're telling us all about it now, which is amazing. <laughs> Let me ask you: When you get to some of these places, are there people who need you to help them to go to the other side? Are they still stuck where they are? You know, um, Irene, that's where I differ with um with my colleagues because i don't believe in the souls trapped between this side and the other side and it is my understanding and and i've come to the conclusion there are three schools of thought on hauntings one of which is that um when a person dies their their energy field in their head their electromagnetic quantum uh, field inside the brain, which you and I would call the spirit or the soul. They're all the same thing. Right. Scientists call it consciousness. Physicists call it the electromagnetic quantum field. Um, People of faith call it a spirit or a soul. Uh, It immediately goes to the other side because energy moves at the speed of light and, or this energy does. and, uh, um, And they're perfectly aware of that. But that doesn't mean they don't come back and visit uh, locations that may have had significance to them, and they have their reasons for doing that. So that's school of thought, number one. Number two is they're trapped between this side and the other side. Um, who Which eats? is the one I've heard a lot about, so I'm glad you're going to straighten me out about this. Yeah, that's where the paranormal investigators and the mediums whose understanding of uh, spirit communication the other side is mired in the Victorian era. Okay, you know, the Ichabod crane, they're running around holding their severed head and all that nonsense. Um, I don't believe that at all because a spirit is an immortal living being. And the second that you are free of the brain, uh, you revert to a a purely energetic state. Um, I know people talk about damaged souls, wounded souls, all these type of things. That to me is a bunch of primitive superstitious nonsense. And the reason for that is because consciousness is not created by the brain. It pre-exists the brain. It is merely hosted by the brain. Ergo, it's like the uh, thinking of the brain as a computer hard drive and who we are are the data, the programs oh. on the hard drive. And when the hard drive crashes, you get uploaded to Dropbox if you're Jewish and Microsoft Cloud if you're Christian. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so if you go to Dropbox, you get the bagels in heaven. If you go to if you go to Microsoft Cloud, you get the cannolis. Oh my um, God, that's so great! <laughs> what, there's no cannolis in heaven. I can hear my relatives now. Okay, anyway, but, but and then the third school of thought is that matter retains vibration, and that to me is the key to haunting. It's like, um, was I really picking up on Amblin or was it the fact that this is where a lot of people were beheaded? It's like when in my book, Never Letting Go, I talk about when I went to a Dachau concentration camp when I was 19 years old and I wasn't really prepared for the energy uh, that surrounded me. Last year, I was in Hawaii filming uh, a pilot um, 
and you know the 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 Hawaiian um, the Hawaiian uh, priest that I was with, he was uh, an adherent of the ancient religion, which is really quite fascinating. Um, they took me to this place near a hospital, and I'm not sitting at a hospital. I'm like, you know, what is this? All of a sudden, I completely had a meltdown, and I kept seeing people running for their lives and getting slaughtered and begging for mercy. And 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 uh, luckily, the the cameraman had the wherewithal to to snap the camera on. They filmed me going through this complete complete meltdown, and uh, then I got my composure back. And I, I won't even say what the Hawaii. They're going holy. You know, and uh, they were all looking at me going, do you have any idea where you are? And I said, uh, parking lot of the Hilo Hospital. They said, just on the other side of this little ridge behind us, there was a battle between two Hawaiian armies, I guess about 200 plus years ago. One army annihilated the other. And then the survivors, they boiled them alive. Oh, my God. Yeah, which is why the stream there is called Boiling Spring. I didn't know this, but but I felt the residual energy from from all this death. I mean, so essentially, not only was there a battle, but there was genocide uh, committed here. And it did not feel like sentient spirits. It felt like echoes. In other words, let me explain it like this. When you look in a mirror... The reflection that you're seeing is no more um, a spirit, okay? Then, in other words, um, a situation like that is no more a sentient living being than your reflection in a mirror is you. You see what I'm saying? I get that. It's, it's residual. And, and the thing is, a lot of the paranormal uh, investigators and the ghost hunters, you know, fear cells and they, you know, they want you to buy uh, tickets to the tours and all that, which I highly recommend because it's fun. But um, we have to realize we're pure energy. As Albert Einstein said, we're all energetic beings and there is no death. There's merely energy which vibrates at different frequencies so as to be perceptible to our senses or to the physical senses. So when we die and our energy field, our soul, which is housed in the brain, leaves the brain, then you immediately revert to this higher frequency. Ergo, there is no need to be wandering around, you know, the Tower of London or Dakar. Right, right, right. But I've had people tell me, Mark, that they visited a concentration camp, for instance, and were helping souls to cross over. Was that their projection? Well, that is, with all due respect to them, their ego. Because what's happening is people that do the clearings and the releasings, think of the energy in a place like that. It's like an echo that continues, 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 and it will continue unless it is deflected. Okay? So when you deflect that energy away, it gives you the impression that you're helping that soul cross over when that soul has crossed over. Already. uh, Already. Um, Gettysburg is a very popular place where people go and they see I mean, that was just a, a slaughterhouse of, of uh, southern and northern uh, boys killing each other. Um, I heard on an interview, I believe it was on CBS Sunday morning, or it could have been 60 Minutes, is one of them. The last surviving judge from the Nuremberg trials, he's this uh, uh, guy, he's in his 90s, and he said, war. He said, it's old people sending young people to go kill other young people that never did anything to them. And he goes, it is the most absurd, ridiculous, preposterous thing. He said, it just, he goes, he doesn't understand why 
humanity just doesn't get that. I agree with him. I am totally with him there. Um, please tell us about that near-death experience you had at the age of four. Oh, my gosh. Um, my dad was, was in the, uh, uh, involved very heavily with the space program, and I'd been born in New Jersey, but we moved down to Orlando, Florida, when I was around three, and he was working for a company at that time called Mar uh, Martin Marietta, which is now Lockheed Martin. And so dad used to have to travel a lot. And so he left, uh, he was on a trip and I was, it was a summer day. Um, and I think it was like a late July. Uh, this is weird. It's a late July day. And, um, a, an epidemic of, of impetigo had like flooded through the neighborhood and I caught it. Um, and, family doctor said, you know, no big deal. Just uh, soak them in Epsom salts and in or bleach. It was bleach, not Epsom salts. Sounds like a fabulous experience for you, Mark. Oh, yeah. You know, but the thing is, what the doctor either missed or did not know at the time is that I had an extremely severe case of it and developed septicemia, Aye. which is an infection of the blood. And my fever started soaring and my mom couldn't stop it. And all of a sudden, I went into convulsions and I stopped breathing. Oh my and God. she scooped me up and she, she uh, told my, my uh, sister, uh, call ambulance. And she yelled to my brother, uh, get help. And, and she ran out from the house. My brother ran across the street. And, and God, I can't believe how lucky we were. The guy living across the street apparently was a fireman. And he just happened to be home. And he was out front and he was like nicknamed in the neighborhood Fireman Rory. Everyone loved Fireman Rory. I remember I kind of have vague memories of Fireman Rory. And he and my mom runs out going, Help me, my baby's dying, you know. And he he he's like, he runs across, he starts doing compressions on my chest and CPR. And and uh and then my sister's like, Mommy, the ambulance is on the way. And 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 all of a sudden they get there and they sort of kind of brought me back because I remember like pounded on the chest and and they put me in the ambulance and my mom jumps in the back and as it sped off the door of the ambulance slammed shut on the ventilator hose so my oxygen supply got cut off and all of a sudden I hear we're losing him and the next thing I know um I it it was like jumping on a trampoline except I went right through the roof of the ambulance and it was weird because I'm this little kid and I'm flying above the ambulance like, woohoo! And I look down and I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> there's, there's Fireman Rory standing in front of my house with my brother and sister and there's this ambulance. And the weird thing is I noticed there was numbers on the top of the ambulance. You know, it was like, why are there numbers on the top of the ambulance? And now I know because there are helicopters and all I can see. But yeah, I was four, you know, I didn't know this, you know. And, Which is proof that you were really over the ambulance, though. Yeah, because I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, you're, you know, and all of a sudden I went into this flash of light and these beings started emerging from the light. And they looked like, um, the, I know this sounds corny, but the best way I can describe them is when you see an Academy Award, you know how it looks like a, uh, it's a humanoid figure without any real distinctive yes, features. Yes, yes. Except they were clear like they were liquid and they glowed from the inside out and there were several of them and they kind of surrounded me, but I wasn't afraid of them because they were really nice. And they were like, you know, 
fear not, don't worry, um, you're, you're, you're going to be fine. And all of a sudden, it, I went beyond them or they kind of melted into the background. Or, and then I felt this presence. And the voice said, life is eternal. And then all of a sudden I hear clear <laughs> and, and I came back and I, they, the uh, paramedic or fireman or whatever they called them back then um, hit me with the defibrillator paddles on my chest. And like, I got electrocuted back into, into this, uh, this world. And, um, and my mother was hysterically crying. Um, and what had happened, Irene, it's pretty exciting because I, I stopped breathing and I went into cardiac arrest. Okay, so I catapult out. I'm on the other side. And the fire, the uh, paramedic says, unless we get that hose in, he's going to die. And my mom said, I'll do it. So he grabbed her by the waist. He grabbed like the, the top, you know, something on the top of the inside. And she pushed the door open, yanked the hose in, and it slammed shut. Then they got air and he goes, oh, my God, his heart stopped. And that's when he got the paddles and did the clear. And that's when I heard that and felt the electrical shocks to, it brought me back. And um, I remember that night in the hospital, uh, my dad flew back in. I think he was in Huntsville, Alabama, because uh, uh, they have a space, uh, space facility there. And um, when I came to, and they had me on uh, intravenous antibiotics to combat the septicemia, um, they said, are you all right? And I, I said, what does eternal mean? And I remember my parents looked at each other and they go, tell us what happened. And, uh, and I did. And the fascinating thing is um, what I didn't know at that time is my father had already in his life had two near-death experiences. He understood exactly what I was talking about. And then my mother, when I was a teenager, um, she died on the operating table and uh, she had an NDE. So you know, I grew up in a family where we saw dead people. Mom not only could see spirits, but she could foresee future events um, and uh, that we'd had near-death experiences. So, um, you know, That's for fantastic. all- Fantastic. You were so lucky because so many kids who are born with that ability, their parents poo-poo it. They encourage them to get rid of it. It's ignorance and fear. Um, you know, on a daily basis, and I know you see this probably with a lot of the, the people that you interview, you get these people that say they're, they're Christians and they're not Christians. They're religious fanatics because boy, they want to cast that first stone. And what we have to remember is true Christians do not judge, but religious fanatics do. So you must keep in mind, which one are you? Oh, okay. And I think that applies to every denomination. Every, every denomination. You could, you could say true people of faith do not judge and, um, but religious fanatics do. And, question you must ask is which one are you and and the thing is that came to me in a in a meditation recently um because these people they start yanking quotes out of leviticus and deuteronomy and, and some a couple other places and it's against god you're against god the fact is the bible is filled with contradictions there's a passage in genesis which justifies slavery which we know to be the greatest of, of all evils. And then you go through and the people that are sitting there judging me, well, if they read another couple passages, you're not supposed to eat pork, nothing with a cloven hoof. 
So as they're wolfing down sausage, bacon, and ham over their sausage and, you know, biscuits and gravy and judging me, and then, uh, you know, wolfing down the all-you-can-eat shrimp at the buffet because you're not supposed to eat shellfish, that too is an abomination. It also says in those books that uh, if your neighbor works on the Sabbath, he shall be put to death. So is that the Sabbath Saturday because that's from the Old Testament, which is Jewish, or since Christians adapted it, does that mean Sunday? So anyone who works on a weekend should be put to death. I mean, I can go on and on and on with this nonsense. And, and what people have to realize is there's a lot of good in, in these religious scriptures, but faith in God is about peace, love, understanding, tolerance. Bless those who curse you. Okay, those who live by the sword shall surely by it perish. Every major belief system, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Native Americanism, spiritualism, Jainism, all has a golden rule. What you know, what you do treat people the way you want to be treated. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. The Buddhists say, do not do to people what you do not want done to you. It's all the same. Um, it is all, all the same. It, it is all the same. And what happens is it becomes about ego. And ego is when you create God in your own image. So he gets to hate and judge the same people that. I think it's also about control. So it's all about control because religion has been a a vastly controlling factor. Um, I was, you know, I was studying about the the Russian czars. It was horrible the way um, uh, czar Nicholas, his wife, Alexandra, and their children were, were machine gunned to death. I mean, that that should never have happened. But when you look at the history, how um, with the czars and the Russian government, they were considered God's representatives on earth. And so religion was used as an instrument of oppression as it, as it is to this day around the world. And you have people in this country, um, and I'm, I'm gonna, I normally don't get political, but these religious liberty laws are extremely dangerous because it's blurring the distinction between separation of church and state. And here's, why, here's another reason why. The people who are, are trying to impose this are extremist um, evangelical Christians. What they clearly fail to recognize, and I'm an attorney, I've studied constitutional law in great depth, they are creating a legal mechanism for Sharia law to be interjected into the United States. And if you think that that's ridiculous, why is, it, why is it in Great Britain that the British government has allowed separate Sharia law courts? Okay, this is not a good thing. I don't want to live in a theocracy. Okay, living in a theocracy is a nightmare. Theocracy is ruled by religion. Uh, you talk uh, to people that have gotten out of Afghanistan and Iran and uh, the Yazidi people that were butchered by, by ISIL or ISIS or whatever that horrible organization chooses to call itself. Um, if you wanted to live in a theocracy, think of the year 1500 in Europe, the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, Jews, Muslims were brutally uh, butchered, tortured, and then it becomes an extension for people we don't like because they're against God. And the founders of this country, flawed though they may be, because many of them owned slaves, but they looked at over a thousand plus years of European religious warfare. And so when they created the United States, 
we were the only Western country at that time, with the possible exception of the Netherlands, which did not have a religious head of state. Like in England, um, uh, the, the monarch is also the head of the Church of England. In France, a cardinal was appointed by the Pope to oversee the religion in Spain and Portugal and the rest of, of um, Europe was that way. And that's why uh, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, uh, uh, James Monroe, they saw the importance of keeping religion and government separate because also government can be used to oppress religious minorities. I mean, Irene, uh, with a name like Irene Weinberg, I'm assuming you're Jewish, okay? Yes, of course. Now, the, the history of the Jewish people is one of oppression, okay? Because as an out group that has, I mean, um, Jews have, have regularly been persecuted. Um, I, to this day, hear comments because I was raised Catholic, and, and comments uh, of, about that. Um, I have been in uh, countries that were not Christian countries at all and seen uh, the bias against, against uh, me. And that should not happen. No, it should not. Anybody. And everyone should have the ability to practice their religion, but not use it as a moral justification with legal backing for anger, bigotry, hatred, or violence. Murder. People are murdered in the name of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Jews killed Christ. That's what the Nazis said. And what's so fascinating, when you study Nazi ideology, and this is one of the lectures that I, uh, that I give that I'll, I'll be presenting at IANS, the International Association of Near-Death Studies in Philadelphia uh, over Labor Day, and also the Edgar Casey Center in October. I think it's October uh, 13th. I'll be giving 10th, or third, 10th through the 13th. At the in, ancient, where will that be? In, the, where in will Virginia that be? Beach. In Virginia, Virginia Beach. Okay. Virginia Beach, Edgar Casey, A-R-E. Yep. Um, it, I've been there. Yeah, the um, Nazi ideology, they were hijacking Christianity. Once they eliminated the Jews, then the objective was to not only conquer Europe and you know Africa and, and most of the uh, Western Asia, then to eliminate Christianity and replace it with this revised form of the ancient Nordic religion um, based on the Thule society that uh, the Germans and the Aryan people were, um, came actually from the stars and that they did not evolve from apes. And they had their version of an Atlantis, but it was essentially in the Arctic and so then they were going to eliminate Christianity. And once again, there would be a religion that was an extension of the state. And so our founding fathers were extremely wise in, in realizing that uh, church and state must be separate. You know, you should be able to go to the, the synagogue of your choice. I should be able to go to the church or the temple of my choice. And do what you choose to do about having a child. And all of that kind right. of thing. Right, and, and do so without fear, without fear. So I know I normally never say anything political, but, you know, as a legal analyst, I'm watching these developments. Um, and, you know, and to me, both parties are uh, abysmal failure. Um, both the Democrats and the Republicans have absolutely failed the American people. It's turned into a tug of war about who's going to be in control, who's going to have the White House. 
and uh, as opposed to, you know, we really need infrastructure. I'm sorry, but infrastructure is not a political thing. Okay. Right. It's like having safe roads, airports, bridges, uh, Schools. But let's use that to play out blackmail people and to and control people some more. I yes. mean, it's terrible. I agree with you. I so agree with you. Uh, you talk about spiritual situational awareness. How does I that do. inform? Teach people. What is that? How does that inform what you do, Mark? Well, um, I touch upon that very heavily in Evidence of Eternity, and I'm going even much deeper in the book that I'm currently writing. Um, I can't wait to read that one. You'll have to come back. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm really enjoying writing it, but you know how, well, you wrote a book, you know how it is. Yeah. People are like, well, when's it going to be out? Well, first I have to write it. And secondly, you know, my agent's got to get me. Right. To deal, you know, and so. second of all, I have all these people to see in Colorado. I have a few other things to do. Oh my too. gosh. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're already, I'm already booking into uh, a year from now. Um, I'm going to be all over uh, the U S Mexico, Canada in the next year, hopefully Europe as well on on my tour but situational awareness is a skill used by first responders and people in the military it's having a 360 degree awareness what's happening around you when you walk into a room who's who's where who's what you know where are every you know where is everybody where are their exits in other words you're aware of what is is around you and this is a life-saving skill because let's say there's a fire and instead of running around, you know, panicked, you already have a plan on how to escape because you know where uh, the nearest uh, exit is to you. Um, people in the military talk about situational awareness. Um, be aware of, of what's around you formations. For example, let's say you're in, you're in the military and you're in a jungle environment and you're approaching a bunch of trees in the distance, but you don't hear anything. Wait a second. Normally, in a jungle or in a forest, you're going to hear birds in the trees. Something or someone must have frightened them away. Mm. That's something to be aware of. Okay, and if you just tromp right into that, you could be walking into an ambush. So those are, are mild examples. Well, I don't know about mild, but they're examples of, of situational awareness. It's like a 360 degree sphere all around you that you pay attention to. Problem is in this day and age with earbuds, the cell phones, people can't ride a bike without having to listen to music. You know, you need to pay attention to the world around you to hear that dog running up to bite you, the car, you know, swerving um, uh, off the side of the road because the person's texting, you know, and they're driving it. You need to be aware of the world around you. Spiritual situational awareness takes that beyond the material world into spiritual vibrations and picking up on the spiritual influences around you because spirits can and will make contact with you not to control you frighten you or harm you but to guide you and spiritual situational awareness is the logical extension of uh, situational awareness and if you think that sounds silly talk to anybody in the military any police officer any first responder firefighter paramedic and they will all tell you, if you don't trust your gut, you'll die. So give us an example of a spiritual situational awareness. You walk into, you know, you're, you're, how, how do you perceive what's going on in that particular way? It's not just about the bird and the tree. No, it could be you walk into a situation 
and there may be somebody that you meet and you get those cold chills and tingles that this is not a good person. This is not somebody you should be associated with, okay? And that person may be charming, handsome, beautiful, whatever, but they could be a very sinister, very dangerous person. Um, also, um, let's say, well, my mother was, was so really big on this. I remember she was at an airport one time and there was a, I think it was a DC nine and she would not get on the plane. She said, I'm not getting on. I got a bad feeling about this. And, and she started throwing a fit and, you know, the airlines, Oh, it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. And she just stuck to her guns and, you know, my dad backed her up. And so uh, the airlines begrudgingly uh, got them uh, schedule another flight within a minutes of the flight there, so beyond of it taking off, it had to have an emergency landing because of equipment failure, okay? And so that's an example of spiritual situational awareness because all of a sudden a message came to her, don't do this. And, and so mom was always big about if in doubt, don't do. And that doesn't mean that you should hide under a rock and not take any chances with your career or personal advancement. But when you feel that visceral gut feeling, um, the reason you feel it in your gut is because your solar plexus is an extremely complex bundle of nerves, the second most complex bundle of nerves in your body outside of the cerebral cortex. That's also a psychic receptor area and where the emotional impulses are received. And so that is a form of spirit communication. So if your gut, your intuition, I mean, for all the parents, when, when your child's going to go do something, you have a feeling that he or she should not be doing that. Follow that. Follow that because I'm going to ask all the parents out there, how many times have you, A, are happy that you overruled that impulse, or B, regretted it? That's, you're going to give people a lot to think about today. Let me pause for one moment right now, and we have to take a quick break to allow a minute for our sponsors who keep this podcast free for our listeners. We'll be right back. We're back. Thanks for tuning in to my insights filled. Wow. Interview with Mark Anthony. Let's continue on with this question. Mark, what determines who comes through to communicate through a medium to a grieving loved one? Do our deceased loved ones retain their personalities on the other side? And are they eager to connect with us on this side? Well, um, if people want to see that up close and personal, I'm headed to Colorado. And on uh, Friday, August 2nd, Saturday, August 3rd, I'll be at For Heaven's Sake Bookstore in uh, Denver for an evening of spirit communication. And then um, the following weekend, I'll be at the uh, Journey of Life Center in Arvada for an evening of spirit communication where I'll be uh, connecting random audience members with loved ones and spirit. And if people want to find out about those events, and that's just part, we're calling uh, the 2019 tour the Frequency Tour, the Mark Anthony 2019 Frequency Tour, because what I do is tune into the higher frequency of the other side. And so I'll be making connections uh, for people in spirit on the uh, on the other side, um, and it bring and I I uh, always uh, meditate and pray before I I do my events to ask uh, God to ask the divine power 
to send forth spirits to bring messages of love, healing, and resolution. Uh, and if people want to find out about that, please visit my website, evidenceofeternity.com, because that has my calendar of events, and, and uh, tickets are going fast, evidenceofeternity.com. Plus, I'll be on be going to uh, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Texas, and somewhere else uh, by the end of the year. Sign up for my newsletter. Keep- I think everyone should sign up for your newsletter because it's obvious that you travel all over the United States and everywhere else, and at some point they can catch you. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, it really is it's, um, it's such a, an honor and it's so humbling to be able to connect people with their loved ones. Um, and, you know, when people are doing the work of Satan, it's a demon impersonating them. Really, a demon wants you to feel happy, relieved that your loved one has moved into the light that is connected with God, that the true teachings of your religion, your faith, your belief system are true. I'm sorry, that that is of the light. That is that is a, a gift from God. And and I'm merely a custodian of that ability. But what an honor that you're a custodian of that ability. And how special it is that you have that, that you can help all these people. Because I personally know that when my husband died, the, I finally, after two months, I heard, I had an amazing reading with a medium and it turned my life around. It, 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 it turned it, my it, life around. It, it does. And the, the thing is, Irene, before we um, get into to the question asked, one of the benefits of spirit communication is that, it lets you know that the person that meant so much to you did not disintegrate into right. nothingness and that you will be reunited with that person in the light, in the light of God. Um, so you have to think about it as like they went on a vacation to Siberia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no, maybe Maui. Let's send them somewhere nicer. Okay. Maui. And then, you know, you're just not there yet. Okay. And then every now and then you'll get a text from them. Um, so it's very important to know that life is everlasting. Life is eternal. That was the strange message, you know, for a four-year-old in my near-death experience, life is eternal, you know, and you think that, well, that's a pretty heavy-duty message to give to a child. Why would God do that? Because God knows I wasn't going to be a four-year-old forever, and that is something that is going to be an integral and visceral part of me my entire life because there's a period of time after a reading with a medium or uh, from an after-death experience where a loved one will come to you and give you a message or you'll have a profound dream, which is actually a visitation. I call it the unfolding. The unfolding could take hours, days, weeks, and even longer for the full impact of a reading to make sense to people. Um, I did a reading for a lady last year, and I get a lot of medical information. Spirits give me a lot of medical information about the people that I'm doing reading for. And she was firmly convinced that she had ALS. And the spirits kept telling me, no, she did not, but someone close to her is stealing from her. And she goes, yeah, but I think I got ARS because I've got these cramps. And they said, no, um, there's something else going on with your body and you need to get into your doctor and it's going to be good news. But someone very close to you is stealing from you. As it turned out, she was pregnant and didn't know it. And she was getting all these strange pains because of uh, vitamin and mineral deficiency. And she went back to uh, the, the business that her, she and her husband owns. And she said, yeah, I was talking to this medium, this Mark Anthony guy. He keeps telling me that somebody close to me has been stealing from me. And she says, now when I look back, she always wondered why 
her recept uh, her bookkeeper sat back in her chair and her eyes were really wide. She goes, did he now? They found out that that bookkeeper had stolen over $400,000 from their business. And they wanted to thank me because then when they found out she didn't have ALS, they started, uh, they had an accountant start going through things and like, wait a second, there's money getting funneled off and funneled off in little bits to these uh, other accounts. So it's, what a fantastic story. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and what was great about it, Irene, is I didn't know about this. They came back to me for a reading a year later, and they told me, because I do the reading, I convey what I convey. Now, your question was, who determines who comes through? Well, we are all energy, and this is not philosophy, this is physics, and love is energy and spiritual link to us, and they know that you're grieving, and they will come through. But sometimes in a reading, other people that you know may come through as well, and sometimes people that you don't expect. And I was on a, <laughs> sorry, I don't need to laugh. But no, I but a, I have a funny story for you. So when you're, <laughs> I, I was on a radio show, and it was being broadcast to almost 40 states. It was like 38, 39 states simultaneously. And the host of the show, he was a cop, and he goes, yeah. He goes, why don't you do a reading on me, you know? And so I start describing this woman who came to and he's looking at me looking at me and all of a sudden I see the look in his eyes and I start describing this woman and I see the color draining from his face he goes we're going to a station break and he hits the the button and the commercial starts playing he goes what are you doing to me I go what do you mean he goes well he goes my wife's really into this stuff and she's listening tonight the woman you described I had an affair with and she goes and she died of a heart attack exactly the way you described like you know three years ago he goes, oh my god and he's like flipping out you know and, and i'm like well it's not my fault you cheated on your wife you know and um um and that turned him around uh he certainly was not expecting that i guess he was expecting his parents or something and i don't want to discourage anyone from engaging in in spirit communication because they come through not because they're trying to embarrass you or humiliate you or control you um, apparently there were unresolved issues between that woman and, and him. And, um, but the problem during readings is the no, no, no syndrome. And that's where people, I'll say, I'm getting something. Does this make sense? No, 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 no. And they start shooting everything down right away. And you've got to be careful about doing that because I've had people, I said, I'm getting a young man's spirit. I start describing him. No, 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 no. And then it turned out to be the son that they wanted to talk to, but they were not connecting the dots and they were jumping to no right away. Because spirit communication, when the spirit comes in, they're emitting waves of frequency to me. They're trying to tune into me and I'm tuning into them. And we have to build a rapport with each other. And so they may present things which may seem initially trivial, okay? Um, I was doing a reading for a lady recently and her son came through and I said, he's talking about a refrigerator. No. Are you sure? No. I go, ma'am, I don't fling out random kitchen appliances hoping to get a help, uh, to get a hit. She said, well, I got a new refrigerator last week, but why would you bring that up? I don't understand why that's important. That makes no sense. I really want, you know, I want, I want, I want. It's like, well, first off, I don't know that you got a refrigerator. Secondly, why would I bring that up? Third, this is how he's letting you know that he's around you. Fourth, I'm building repair, rapport with him. And fifth, you're shooting everything down and flooding the energetic field with a barrier 
So then the spirits start to back off. And so when people are receptive, and if you don't understand something, say, I'm not sure, let me think about it, because you're not slamming the door in the spirit's face, and then they're going to continue transmitting more information, and then we're going to start getting the deeper, fuller, more profound messages. I'm going to say to what you're saying is I was in a gallery once and I was shocked out of my mind because it wasn't my deceased husband who came through. It was my ex-husband's deceased father, my father-in-law who had been dead for 40 years, who came through to talk to me and tell me how much he loved me and how he felt about the divorce. Talk about coming back to talk about unresolved issues. And it floored me. It absolutely floored me. But it also told me, this is real. How could, how could anyone conjure that up? Absolutely. Um, you know, people say, you Google people. And it's like, aye, yeah, aye, right. aye. yeah. So how would they, if they Google, do you know about your ex-father-in-law who died 40 years ago? Uh, it's like, it's so funny because there was this guy, he, um, uh, it was this, this family. Um, and I called on them. They stood up. And big guy, and he's standing with his arms crossed, and his father came to me and goes, well, how do I know that you didn't Google me? And I go, your father's talking about lemon meringue pie. And he goes, oh, my God, I baked one of those last night. I go, was that on Google? He goes, well, no. Was that on Facebook? He goes, no. He goes, how would you know that? I said, I don't. But your father does. Right. There's the proof. And while we're talking about this, I am, you'll pardon my expression, dying to hear you talk about the different levels on the other side. You talk about that in your book, Evidence of Eternity. And I love that story you talk about with Zoe and her children. But I'd like people are always asking me, what happens? Where do people go when they're evil? Where do people go if they're super wonderful, kind? How does it work? And, and is there a shopping center over there? Is there healing? Is there uh, healing stations? What do people do? Do they have jobs? What, so can you enlighten? our listeners, please, Mark. What I've found is there's different frequencies to the other side, just like there's different frequencies on the AM or the FM dial. There's different frequencies of X-rays, gamma rays, um, microwaves, so on and so forth. And so let's say somebody who's negative, there's no help. Hell is a, is a, we could do a whole show on, on the history of hell. I'd like to have you back to talk about that too. Move <laughs> around Halloween. That's a good Halloween. Hell, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, but everybody, uh, reincarnation is real. Um, there is no hell, but there is reincarnation. There is karma. Who never loses an address. <laughs> okay. So follow the teachings of all the religions and be nice. All religions can be some. Be Boiled loving and kind, right. Be nice. Yeah, let's just be nice, be loving, you know, not judgmental and all that. Um, but there are different frequencies. For example, Mother Teresa will go into 107.9 on the FM dial, and Osama bin Laden will go on 80, 88.1. And what happens to him in 88.1? I mean, well, I don't think no, he's, he's in no, any... He's no longer evil because the evil... See, the reason somebody like that or Hitler or uh, a Pol Pot, they were ego-driven personalities, and ego is edging God out. I don't care if you go around saying you're an Islamic superhero. If you're perverting your faith to justify anger, bigotry, hatred, violence, judgment, and murder, then you're acting out of your own ego. You don't need a devil. You have your ego. 
And so when the body dies, the brain dies, the brain is what creates the ego. His spirit is free of that and but is aware of what has happened and can work as a spiritual influence to help other people, maybe in this world, or, and pretty much um, everybody does until you're done with this material plane, you reincarnate. Okay, so if you are an absolute horrific monster in your last life, there's a law of physics that says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Is that what one reaps, one sows? Yes, um, very, very much so. Book of Corinthians, uh, the law of karma in Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, you know, what you do will come back to you. It's amazing how that the laws of physics and, and true spirituality have this harmony. So, you know, someone like bin Laden may come back being the type of person that he persecuted or coming back in some horrific, uh, you know, mentally or physically disabled, deprived state. And it appears that we go through a succession of lifetimes and that uh, we are having experiences in the material world that we can't on the other side. Because here we can experience pain, grief, sorrow, disability, um, all of these um, uh, severely incapacitated emotionally, mentally, physically uh, experiences. Whereas on the other side, when you're pure energy, pure energy doesn't get old, sick, die. Um, and it appears based on the thousands of readings that I've done that what you do in this life and the experiences you go through seem to have a direct relationship to the frequency you go in to the next life so someone like adolf hitler okay and hitler's like used to the point where it's almost nauseating but he was such an example of evil but let's take joseph stalin okay okay he's evil a few miles east extremely talented person evil people can be very very talented and charismatic and charismatic i mean you know they they, they that's how they get where they are um, but that doesn't mean they're they're deep philosophically, spiritually, and they're certainly devoid of compa compassion. I mean, when you encounter sociopaths, they're not always the grisly creature coming through the the bedroom window at 4 a.m. with a hatchet. Uh, they can be the Bernie Madoffs in the pinstripe suits and telling you everything that you want to hear and how life will be better if you give him your oh, life my. savings. Yeah. Um, so they can be extremely talented and, and charming engaging people but um what you'll see with them is everything's me 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 it's, an, it's a complete me as center of of the universe me as the focus whereas when you see a person like a gandhi or a buddha saint francis a jesus a moses mother, a teresa. Krishna, mother yeah. teresa it's all about giving to others um, now when a mother teresa reincarnates Will she necessarily, or has she reached a level that she doesn't have to reincarnate anymore? How does, how does that work? Well, that's, that's the theory, um, but maybe she will come back. Maybe there's something that she um, needs, to, needs to accomplish here. Maybe she'll come back as a super billionaire who's a philanthropist. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> I mean, you, know, you never know. Um, well, we could really get into a discussion of uh, reincarnation, but um, the oh, Hindu, please do. Well, the Hindus believe that your next lifetime could be what, in you and I, consider to be the past. 
which is fascinating because when you start working with spirituality on the quantum level, and if you take uh, quantum physics, meaning on the subatomic level, um, there is no time. And that's what Einstein and uh, Max Tegmark and, and other great physicists have talked about space time is that from an energy standpoint, what happened yesterday is happening today and will happen tomorrow. In other words, it's all going on simultaneously, which of all the religions, um, I think Nikola Tesla said, boy, I wish I'd been introduced to Hinduism earlier in my life because he says, this is more what it appears to be. And um, so that's why your next incarnation could be what you and I would consider to be two or 300 years ago. Um, Interesting, but that yeah. wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be necessarily progressing forward, would it? Maybe I mean, it well, maybe, maybe it would. Maybe, maybe it would. It depends who you who you are, who you become. How interesting! Why are people so obsessed with time on this side if there's no real big deal about time on the other side? Because we physically age, and it's 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 part of living in the material world. I know a lot of the the spiritual types say, stop worrying about time. Well, come on, you know, sometimes practicality, you have to climb off the high horse of holier than thou and realize that we're born, we grow old, we die. Mm -hmm. And there comes a period in your life when you stop getting invited to weddings, but you're going to funerals all the time. And also because we're in a physical body, which, which decays and, uh, grows old and, and dies, uh, you know, eventually. We also reckon things by the Earth's rotation around the sun because as physical beings, we have to sleep. So, you know, we, we, we divide things into periods of light and dark that we call days. And based on uh, uh, the Earth's rotation around the sun is years. So it's a matter of practicality. Plus everything that we know has um, limitations. We have a finite perception. So we believe that time moves in a linear fashion. You know, if you go up to a blackboard, you put a dot on it or a whiteboard, a dot on it, and the dot moves from left to right in one vector. And that's childhood, you know, adolescence, uh, you know, young adulthood, middle age, old age and die, or it can happen sooner. So we believe that time is linear because that's how we perceive things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And perhaps that may be another reason why we're living in the material world, because on the other side is spirits, that doesn't exist. Now we're able to come and experience linear time. Do Do you believe people choose their exit points? No. I believe there's a day we're coming in and a day we're going out. The only choice we have is what to do with the time in between. That's where the choice is. And if you stray too far, you get directed back to your path because your exit point, people say, well, if he would have done this or he would have done that. Um, it's like um, there was an athlete recently just collapsed and died. And people are saying, well, you know, because um, I'm always telling people about their health and that's what comes through from spirits. And they say, well, he had a healthy life. Yeah, but maybe that was his exit point. And, and let's say lifestyle so you choices. Do, you do kind of believe in an exit point if that's his time. Well, that he, was his time, period. Because he, he could have set that up. Well, oh, oh, you mean, uh, yeah, he could have set that up ahead of time. Um, uh, I so think that my question? set up yeah. his exit point. Sure, a- absolutely. 
because let's say you're gonna um you're gonna live to be 90 years old and you want to eat you know um sugar and salt and fattening food now some people have a good constitution and it's not going to matter they're going to live till 90 and then drop dead on that day then other people may have a stroke and live in a disabled um uh, capacity until that day but they had the choice to change their habits and eat the right things and get the exercise and not have the stroke and they would still die on that day i mean how many times you heard someone go uh, he was jogging and got hit by a car and you know all his bones were broken but if he wasn't in such good shape he he you know he would have died and all i'm thinking is well and if he wasn't jogging he wouldn't have got hit by the car that that sheds a lot of light uh, on it for people um can you give us Oh, you didn't tell us the story about Zoe and her kids, because I think that's a fantastic story about those planes of existence. It is, but I'd like people to read that in Evidence of Attorney. Okay, I'll recommend that to them. Yeah, I spent so much time not only doing the reading, but in, in constructing that, that I don't think me verbally rehashing it would do would do uh, what I wrote justice. Well, I'll just say to everyone that you should read it because it's an amazing story that shows you what the planes of existence are on the other side and how they how they're affected by how you've lived your life um are there any other short stories you'd like to tell us about what the other side is like like if someone comes over they're very am damaged very you know they had a terrible life they were very wounded they were whatever are there places they go to heal do they continue to evolve and learn once they get there? How does that work? Do they hang around us and learn? How does that work? Yeah, I don't I don't buy the whole wounded soul uh, thing. And I know that there's uh, mediums and, and philosophers who disagree with me, and that's their choice. But once again, as soon as you're out of your body and you go into that light and you encounter the love that is God and the peace, uh, you've reverted to your, to your true self, your immortal living state. Now, Irene, when we have this discussion, you and I understand this and we get it. And I would say that most of the listeners do. But for the people who are listening who are in a profound state of depression and you're having suicidal thoughts and ideation, we are not in any way encouraging you to, to attempt uh, to take your own life, okay, uh, in the hopes that the other side will be better. Um, Living in the material world is not easy. Even the people that you look at and you think, oh, gee, isn't their life wonderful? One of the most profound things my mother ever said to me is when you feel depressed and sad and like, you know, your life isn't worth living anymore, think of 10 people that you know. She said, not movie stars, not celebrities, politicians, people you see on TV or read in, in the paper or online, but people that you really know. And ask yourself, would you truly want to be any one of them? You want their problems, their pain, their issues, their illnesses, their families. <laughs> She's, you know, and, you know, and you start thinking like that. It's like, oh my gosh, it was like, it was, you know, my mom was a very she wise, was wise, yes, very wise, and you know, because you know, people people think that. Um, well, recently, um, I think it was Bruce Springsteen. Uh, came out with how he has struggled with depression his entire life. And we're like, the boss? Bruce Springsteen? But he's like, that's supposed to be immortal. Yeah, I mean, he's like the rock star, you know, and he grappled uh, with 
depression. Um, and that shows that whoever, you know, whoever you are, you can be coping uh, with depression. Um, you know, Gandhi used to complain, you know, about uh, depression, but he realized it was all part of, uh, uh, part of his journey. Uh, Mother Teresa went through a profound state of depression, they said, for something almost like seven years. Wow. She actually stopped believing in God. She said, how could there possibly be a God? But then again, without doubt, how can you have faith? And, you know, if you look at the, the uh, so I look at the Bible. As so wait, explain that metaphor. again. Without doubt, how can you have faith? Have faith. Without doubt, how can you have faith? Look at the book of Job. Beautiful metaphor. How everything in Job's life was great. And then you know, Satan, who doesn't exist because this is a metaphor, was having, you know, this was a philosophical discourse. And so all the wonderful things in Job's life were taken away from him, his health, his fortune, his, his loved ones. And yet still he maintained his faith because the lesson there was that true faith and true happiness are not based upon external factors, but upon your own attitude and what you're going through. And that um, people go through depression. People go through sad times. Um, it's part of life. It's part of life. I mean, the reason I wrote Never Letting Go was in the wake of the death of my mother. That was uh, the most painful, um, painful uh, period of my life. And then it also dawned on me that some of the greatest works of art, literature, music, uh, sculpture, were all the result of people expressing their feelings through creativity. And for me, you know, I've always liked writing. I like to, to paint pictures with words and to bring a person into a situation, a place, so that you can feel it and taste it, smell it, experience it. You do it, it. well, by the way. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, John Lennon, um, you know, he was from a broken home. His father abandoned him. Uh, his mother died at a young age. He started writing songs, you know. Uh, so it's it's really um, you can take the pain and you can do drugs, you can act out, you can victimize other people, you can turn to rage and anger, and that's very normal for a lot of people to do. And that's where I talk about you know your your grief will lead to committing crimes, which ultimately lead to inflicting grief on someone else. So like being a drunk driver. You don't wake up one day and go, I think I'm going to go kill somebody tonight when I'm too drunk to drive. But why are you, why are you an alcoholic? It's probably, not probably, but it is because you're depressed. It's because you're sad. Uh, depression is anger turned inwards. And perhaps you had uh, a death in your childhood or formative stages that wasn't resolved properly. And you're self-medicating because drinking dulls the pain, snorting cocaine and crystal meth, uh, opioids, what, you know, whatever your drug, drug you right. turn to. And then that behavior leads to you killing or hurting someone really badly. Grief leads to crime, which leads to grief. And it's about breaking that cycle. So for the people who are out there listening to Irene and I talk about how wonderful it is to be a spirit in the energetic state, realize there's no rush to get there. <laughs> We're all going to get there at some point. And if you don't learn the lessons you're meant to learn, you're going to be back anyway. Right. And if you think things are bad now. <laughs> right. Right. 
Mark, um, are our deceased loved ones always around us, even if they reincarnate? Is there a part of them always around us knowing what's going on in our lives? Well, they can be whenever they want to, because people tend to think that spirits are just invisible humans with our same finite limitations and mobility, uh, um, you know, our slow mobility. But as pure electromagnetic energy, they move at the light, at the speed of light. So they can pop in and see what we're doing and then, you know, do whatever it is that they're doing over there, growing, evolving, learning, uh, communing with the collective consciousness with God. And then be back to us all in the time it took us to pour a cup of coffee. Wow. Wow. Do they have schools and everything over there like that? Um, they tell me that it's learning, growth of the soul, spiritual development. So it, yes, but not in the sense of you're sitting in a desk, you know, with a number two pencil. <laughs> okay. Know? But is this, does this apply to each one of the planes? Uh, I think that it does. Um, cause I've asked them, I said, well, what do you do there? And they go, you can't understand. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always telling me you can't understand. And it's it's growth of the soul. It's expanding your consciousness. It's learning things and it's evolving. And there have been, um, incidents in my life where they've actually allowed me to feel what it's like to be them. Um, which I can only handle for a few seconds. And, I don't even know how to describe it. It is the most euphoric, um, all-encompassing, loving feeling. And you feel like you're part of everything, everywhere. Um, and the reason I can only handle it for a few seconds, because it's like the, the, the way I describe it in Evidence of Eternity, it's like being a single wire. And suddenly all the electricity going through Manhattan hits you. <laughs> you know, so it's like zap, you know. And when that happens to me, I'm just simply exhausted. Let me out of here. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think what they're also letting me know is spirits are not alone. They're linked to other spirits, meaning they're part of the collective consciousness, which think of your soul as a drop of water. And when you leave the body, you plunge into this eternal ocean and then you go to different levels, you know, deeper, farther away from the light. It's cooler. Okay, closer to the surface, it's lighter, there's more color and activity, so you can look at it that way. But when you're part of the collective consciousness, um, which, you know, we're all cells in the body of God, and, and this ties into quantum uh, mechanics, that everything on its most basic level is electromagnetic energy, we are all interconnected. And so that's why they're never depressed or sad or wounded or screwed up because they are patched into this infinite intelligence network. That's cool. What do you say to these skeptics out there who think this is all, and I know like you gave the example of that guy, you said, how, how would I know uh, that, you know, you did this or that, but skeptics who think this is all hogwash, do you care? Do you just say, listen, you'll find out when you cross over or, What's your general, and, and, and if they're hostile to you, how do you handle it? Oh, well, they're, they're horribly hostile. Um, you know, James Randi is, is like the, yeah, he's like um, the, the king of the buzzkills. Um, you know, he's a miserable, cantankerous, horrible person um, who was a magician. So basically, he thinks that everything's a trick, a fraud, and deception because that's what made him, you know, famous, I guess. And he created this, oh, I'll give you a million dollars if you can pass this test. And it's funny because um, I've seen uh, mathematicians analyze this test 
first off, he's the one that gets to determine whether or not you've passed it or not. And secondly, it's uh, to all my uh, fellow Star Trek friends, it's the proverbial Kobayashi Maru, the unwinnable scenario. So it's just, it's a like him and everything about him. It's a farce. Um, some people simply won't believe that may be part of, of their journey. Um, and sometimes skeptics are, are extremely intelligent. And normally the field of science has been um, overtly hostile toward the field of faith, except in the last century with the advent of quantum physics, where they're beginning to see that what people of faith have believed, at least in the energetic sense and the, the continuity of life, does not violate the laws of physics. So there appears to be now a melding of um, bridging the gap between uh, the scientific and the spiritual, and we've got a long way to go. There will always be people who don't believe. There will always be naysayers. There will always be negative people because that's part of living in the material world. My best friend was an atheist and a skeptic, and uh, I met him when I was 11 years old, and and uh, actually, he's in Evidence of Eternity in the chapter on suicide because he is a victim of suicide, took his own life. And it was so upsetting when I found out I was um, practicing law full time. I told my assistant, cancel everything. I, 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 I couldn't. I couldn't be at work. I had to go home. And I was sitting in my living room at home just crying. Okay. I mean, he's my brother. I mean, we, we grew up together, went to college together and, and traveled through Southeast Asia. I even performed his wedding ceremony. Met oh my this God. Woman from I mean, you don't get another friend like oh that. Oh my God. What and, a loss. And all of a sudden my mother appears in my living room. She goes, I brought someone and there he is. And he goes, well, I guess you won that argument. Well, okay, but then, but see, the thing is, Irene, I myself became a victim of my own doubts. This is, you know, tying to doubt and faith because did I really want this to be him? Did I? You know, and so I was sitting there wondering, and about an hour later, I guess I was beaming to the uh, collective consciousness so much, I get a phone call from a friend of mine who's a, a very well known medium. And uh, she was going to be teaching a class in like a week or so. And she asked if I would assist her. And we're talking on the phone. She goes, you know, Mark, I'm picking up on this blonde hair, blue eyed gentleman, uh, a spirit connected to you somehow. And he keeps repeating, you won the argument. And then I realized. That's what a validation for what you. What a validation. <laughs> He's going on about some argument that oh you won. God. And I didn't say anything to her about about. And so. um so for those of you who are skeptics, you can be skeptics until the day you go into the light. And then you'll find out. Yeah. I mean, God exists in spite of religion, not because of religion. And whether or not you believe in an afterlife, it's there. In fact, in near-death experience um, studies, atheists who have NDEs come out of it believing not only in an afterlife, but in God. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say so. It's a... I I would say like with what happened to me who I did not believe at all. Then I had this spiritual awakening and I tell people it kind of changed my cells as they were multiplying. It kind of just changed my whole perception about everything. Um, tell everyone again how they can connect with you because I am sure they want to read your books, which I highly recommend. They want to get sessions with you. They want to 
they want to go to your events they and on and on and on and on so share yourself with everyone tell us well it's the same uh, my website is evidenceofeternity.com just like my book evidence of eternity i've got events coming up in uh, the first two weeks in uh, Colorado in the Denver area at For Heaven's Sake Bookstore. You gotta go to For Heaven's Sakes. They're just amazing, really beautiful people, great stores. And I'll be doing two nights of uh, spirit communication on August 2nd and 3rd. And then the following week on um, uh, Saturday, August 10th, I'll be at the um, Journeys for Conscious Living in Arvada doing an evening of spirit communication. And uh, there's also going to be some light circle events. So light I circle, love that. You're, are you coming to the north for that? If I didn't find anything? I, I will be. Yeah, we're working on I want to know about that one. Yeah, the light circles are, are limited to 10 people. And that's where everybody's going to get a reading. And um, um, they've been very, very popular, very, very uh, well received, uh, the light circle events. And so they're in conjunction with all my tours because, you know, because people want individual readings when I'm on tour, and that's generally not possible because of the demands on my time. You're so busy, right? But I, I, but with with ten people, I can do that. And uh, you know, because people, Irene, think that that what I do as a medium is just talking. It is so incredibly draining because you, I have to rev my brain up to full full power to um, get my brainwave frequency to a higher level spirits bring theirs down we get a frequency match it's a huge expenditure of energy which i can only handle for um about an hour hour you know hour and a half max um every medium that what well, that's a legitimate medium will tell you that because people are like well can i get a reading with you before you go on you know that'd be like asking an olympic athlete hey can you come and do 20 laps at my house before you go and do your meet? right right you know and and so that's why we do the light circles because it's an intimate environment where I can make sure everybody gets a connection. And then in the large group events, um, whether or not you get an individualized reading, pretty much everybody gets a connection based on messages that come through that are multiple meaning messages through the collective consciousness. Right. So right. I may be doing like a reading on you in a crowd, Irene, but what comes through will apply to eight to 10 other people right because it's supposed to. And then, you know, at these events, I can explain this in greater detail. Um, but the, the Colorado tour is coming up and I uh, will be in other venues in at IONS, International Association Near Death Studies, the uh, Edgar Casey Forbidden Histories, Ancient Mysteries uh, Conference. Is that going to be in Virginia Beach? That will be in Virginia Beach. And uh, then we've got other events. I'll be back in Houston in November. Uh, so, um, evidenceofeternity.com, uh, join, you know, uh, uh, subscribe to my newsletter, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of it. And, uh, appreciate it. Um, if someone wants the pleasure of your company all to themselves, do you do private? I do private readings once again, through the website, evidence of eternity. So they can just sign up for it there. They, they can. Um, most of the readings I do are phone readings. People say, well, how can you do it on the phone? Because spirits move at the speed of light. Right. And what is your tip for finding joy in life, Mark Anthony? Oh, goodness. My tip for finding, treat life like a river. Flow with it, not against it. And realize that sometimes our smooth sailing with 
cool, deep waters that are calm. Other times there's rapids and there will be waterfalls. Um, but when you flow with life and realize that it's a journey and the journey is the adventure, that is what makes you happy. That's great. Thank you. Here's, here's my reminder to everyone to please be sure to like Irene Weinberg, W-E-I-N-B-E-R-G, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter because I am going to have Mark back again, and you're going to want to hear that, everybody. So you got to start to, more and more of you have to subscribe and listen in to fabulous interviews like this. Mark, my heartfelt thanks for all that you do to help people heal through your enlightened books, your profound readings, your inspiring public appearances, and more, including this absolutely wonderful interview on grief and rebirth today. As I always like to say, surely to be continued. Many blessings and Thank bye for so now. Much.